Hello and welcome to Cityware Selectors' uh, special edition of the podcast, uh, where we're going to talk about Alpha Female Report. This report is uh, six years in the running, and today to discuss it, I'm joined by Nisha Lon, Head of ESG and Cross-Border Research at Citywire, and Deborah Gilshan, founder of the 100% Club. Well, welcome Nisha and Deborah. Uh, lovely to have you with me today. Nisha, I think, um, kind of like, given the scope of work that we've all done, but especially you were spearheading in the effort, um, would you mind giving us an overview of the main findings of the report this year? Because obviously some things unfortunately don't change, but others actually do. So if you could give us a quick outlook, that would be great. Yes, you're absolutely right there. So the good news is um, we have seen a rise in the percentage of female fund managers um, since starting the report um, six years ago. So in 2020, we had 11% female fund managers around the world, and now it's 11.8%. But as you can see, well, you've heard, the rate of change is still painfully slow, and parity is around 127 years away. Now, this has come down from last year's. It was 200 years to parity. But you know what? I'm still not going to see parity in fund management in my lifetime, or even my sons, or actually even my grandkids when that comes, um, But which is quite depressing. Um, but I have to say, there are some positives that have come out of this report this year. Um, so mixed gender teams um, in fund management have almost doubled in number over the past six years, as firms have decided that diversity works. And we've seen an acceleration of diversity initiatives as well around the world over the past year. And there is evidence um, to back up you know, the case for mixed gender teams in the report this year in terms of performance stats and um, just looking at the amount of returns they have compared to the risk they take in their portfolios. Um, but one downside has been um, looking at turnover figures yet again. Um, and I think this kind of lies at the heart of the problem. The figures haven't improved at all. And if not, um, well, basically they've got worse this year, but that's for men and women over looking over the past year. This is taken into account a 10 year rolling period. But um, as I said, women are leaving fund management you know, at a faster rate than men. And we've seen this for a number of years now. So that hasn't really changed. So yeah, that's the crux of the main findings of this report. Yeah. Thank you very much, Nisha. A lot to dig into, but I would suggest, uh, shall we start with mixed teams? So obviously it's almost kind of like a truism at this stage that mixed team work, but an interesting thing to delve into why that is the case and why it is important. So Deborah, given the results of the report, what do you think is moving fund managers and asset managers large, obviously, to move towards this model a bit more and why it makes sense? Thank you, Margarita, for the question, and, and thank you again to, to CityWire um, and to Nisha for, first of all, continuing to do this important work, um, but also for the invitation to contribute again to this year's findings. Um, all joking aside, uh, you know, anybody who's listened to this should also listen to, to Nisha and I's discussion last year, uh, because um, whilst some things have changed and improved, a lot of what we talked about in last year's podcast is still so relevant um, to today. So I think um, I'm certainly encouraged by some of the, the findings, um, but also want to continue encourage, to encourage, um, you know, an acceleration of the change that's needed. 
Um, I think that mixed teams uh, doubling in almost doubling in six years, I think is really, you know, to be applauded and to be welcomed. But I think it's part of a realization that, you know, investment, excellence and in investment um, really depends on ideas, challenge to ideas, to um, diversity in teams um, and to cognitive diversity, uh, diversity ultimately. So I am not surprised because I think we are going through a shift in you know, what excellence in investment decision-making is. Um, I think investment decision-making is very much a team effort because you benefit from the challenge and the diversity. And we are very much moving away from that star fund manager culture. So you're relying less on one individual and relying more on the collective output of the team. Mm -hmm. Nisha, I was wondering uh, if you could give us an overview of the performance meaning of it all, because I think one of the most interesting aspects of this is how performance is showing through this collaboration and especially also risk management side of things also seems to be improving as a result. Yeah, so in this report, we have looked at um, returns per unit of risk taken, and that's where mixed teams have excelled, actually, and we did this um, in 2018 in the Alpha Female Report in 2018 and we've ran the figures again this year looking at three years and five years of performance and it's still the same result and if you imagine that we've still got the Covid period in there of the pandemic of the market falls and market rises etc but we've seen the bull market but even then it is it has been the mixed teams um, that also um, you know lost the let least money out of all the management structures that we cover from you know sole female managed sole male managed you know women only teams you know the mixed teams were the ones who had the lowest drawdowns but that's going back five years that we looked at in this report so it just shows you the consistency of um you know mixed teams um how they perform how better outcomes you know there is some you know, statistical evidence but as we've seen in academic papers you know other research that's been done that this is the case as well with boards as well you know if you have the diverse board you've seen reports out there to you know say that the corporate you know company performance can improve by having a diversity of thought in a board structure for example and i think it's exactly the same that you find in fund management mm -hmm. Uh, thank you, Nisha. Uh, one interesting finding that stands out is that it's also not universal across different countries in Europe and outside of Europe, for that matter, how that distribution between the percentage of female fund managers and male fund managers works. Um, because it seems like in certain countries, especially in Southern Europe, for example, you have a higher percentage. In other places, like uh, if memory serves me well, Germany is quite low. Um, and then there is also Asia, where we have an unprecedented amount of uh, female fund managers running a lot of money. So, Nisha, I don't know, let's start with you. Would you like to highlight a couple of numbers in terms of which countries are leading the way? And yeah. maybe a couple of observations why that is the case. Yeah, so Asia, as you mentioned, you know, we've seen the Asian countries at the top of this report for many years now. So countries, um, Hong Kong, for example, 28% female fund managers, um, Singapore, 20%, uh, Taiwan, 19%. So these are quite, you know, 
strong numbers. And as you mentioned, Southern Europe as well, Spain um, still ticking along nicely at 22% fund managers and Italy as well, 21%. And on the other the flip side, you have, as you mentioned, Germany, which is just 6%. So you can see, you know, there's quite a lot of differences in the percentages there. And just talking to fund selectors, talking to my peers, you know, some of the things that have come out from this is perhaps the cultural differences we see between these countries. Uh, so for example, Asia, um, some countries in Asia, in Spain, Italy, they have quite, um, they have the extended family culture, you know, you are living with your grandparents, your parents, etc. So I think that what that um, goes to is childcare and childcare facilities within the family, that you have somebody to look after your child while you're at work. It's not always the case, but I think, you know, the majority do that. And I think in um, maybe the developed economies in, well, in Northern Europe, for example, this may not be the case of that same, it's not the same culture. So there are some struggles with, you know, having some kind of flexibility or childcare. Um, so that's just one point that, you know, I did pick up from my research into this. Mm-hmm. Deborah, obviously there are some kind of evidence points that you can kind of identify, but like from your interaction even with uh, fund managers, uh, female fund managers especially, um, do you think there is any kind of pattern almost to detect when it comes to this different distribution between countries in terms of female representation and fund managers? Well, given there's not that many female fund managers, I actually don't know that many female fund managers. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think I'd be able to uh, come up with a, a pattern um, of you know what what may mm-hmm. not be driving this. I, I think the points that that Nisha makes are very well made in terms of you know cultural differences within within different countries. Um, I also think that. As much as you know, you're seeing many asset management companies now, you know, publishing that they have parental leave policies, which you know is absolutely to be applauded. We also need to ensure that those parental leave policies are taken advantage of, and that you have a culture that does encourage, um, you know, men to take parental leave. Um, so I'm really interested to see the take up, um, and I think data on the application and the, uh, you know, the, the, the number of um, employees that have actually taken advantage of some of these um, policies that are trying to encourage a more balanced culture so that everybody can prosper um, and that everybody can have opportunity. Uh, so I think it's, it's both within, at a country level, but also within individual firms. Um, and I think some of the media coverage around, you know, culture within, uh, certain asset management firms uh, is being you know used to, to expose what may or may not be going on so uh, I think that's part of it as well. Yeah I think I can remember you saying as well once Deborah when we were on a panel discussion just a couple of months back that um, you know companies need to look inwards before they look outwards and I think that really rung you know so highly on what we're trying to do is before having these targets or these policies is are they measurable? How are they measuring it in the companies? Is it working or is it just lip service? You know, you have to ask those tough questions to these companies and how is it working? Where's the data to prove? For example, parental leave, how is that panning out? And yeah. I'm hoping actually the pandemic has, you know, encouraged, well, women and men to, t- you know, share parental leave, perhaps, you know, well, yeah. they've been in that, those lockdown situations. But, and I yeah. think, that we, you know, this is an interesting point now as we slowly and hopefully come out of the 
pandemic in terms of certainly lockdowns and now you're seeing quite different views from different institutions in finance about you know what their expectations are of employees to be back in the office or to to work more flexibly um you know i really hoped that the pandemic would have proved that flexible working you know can work obviously i understand that there are benefits to being within you know with your team physically you know to share knowledge and ideas to network you know building your social capital i think is also important and not all of that can be done on zoom but equally um you know just hearing some leaders of financial institutions that just seem to have kind of you know rewound themselves two years and are now talking again about you know everybody back full time um so i think this is an important part of the considerations now and i wonder whether you know even though we've seen a significant increase year on year it's still really small um 11.8 percent i think you said uh yeah Misha, in terms of female fund managers i mean how much of that might be due to the pandemic for example mm-hmm. and whether we see a reversal next year as we you know slowly but surely go back to to the office if you know we're talking about office-based work that finance is so yeah so i think there's lots of I guess, moving parts to all of this. Um, and as much as we were ex- we were keen to reflect, you know, on la- when we did a recording last year, what would happen, you know, the 12 months we're mm. looking at, I'm also really interested in what will, the figures will look like next year, uh, because I think that's quite an interesting time period to, to survey and then to analyse as well. That will be, sorry, an important um, time frame to analyse. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that'll be an eye opener, to tell you the truth. That will show us really, is there change been happening or was this a blip? You know, I don't want to say that word, but maybe that is what it was. So fingers yeah. crossed. Well, I think it's kind of like telling as well that we are naturally gravitating towards discussing the pandemic and the effect it had. And I think in some of the findings, which is specifically on turnover, which was greater for both women and men, well, as always for women, even greater still, but nonetheless, uh, it's hard to detach yourself from a thought that this has to do with the fact that a lot of fund managers sat back and reevaluated what matters to them. Maybe some people changed jobs, decided to leave the industry, or on the contrary, for example, a female fund manager likes to work flexibly and doesn't want to go back to the office. Well, there are multiple examples. Well, there were also a couple of fund managers who were returning to their country of origin if they were based in Australia, for example, or in the US prior to being based in Europe. So if we were to talk about what the pandemic meant for female fund managers with both benefits and drawbacks, what would that be? I think, uh, well, one of the main things was um, the, that flexible will, you know, um, the flexible working, just proving the point that it does work. You don't have to be in the office all the time, you know, to make, you know, sit down, make those decisions, um, do your work. Sometimes, you know, I see in the office at our place, you know, that we've got headphones in you want to concentrate, you know, block out the noise. Why not do that at home instead, you know, as we have been doing? So it proves that you don't have to be in the office all the time to make those decisions. And I think, you know, flexible working, um, even though it has proved that some people do need to go back into the office, whether that be for getting some peace from children in the house, you know, for example, you know, or yeah, just having those different options available to you that you can still be very, you know, you can do the work 
that you're supposed to be doing, but it doesn't matter where you are sat. It could be in a different country. It could be in a different office. You know, you don't have to be in the same place all the time. And I'm hoping that has been, you know, taken in by some companies. I know some companies don't believe that. And the rush in September, I know all the tubes were absolutely packed in London, you know, the first week of September. It's just, it's a rush of everyone going back to the offices. Um, and there's a reluctance at the same time for that. But I think with fund management, um, you know, there's a lot of managers who have improved and they have had outstanding results. You know, female fund managers, men, everyone, has, you know, it's been really good. So we can't really say that's, you know, that's held them back in any way because they were still made the stock decisions that they were going to make. They still had some kind of discussion, maybe, you know, on Zoom, Microsoft Teams, if for example. So you still had that interaction. I do understand that sometimes you do need to have, you know, that interaction that you might catch a comment here or there. Mm -hmm. And that's a perfect idea for your business. I, I understand that completely. But I think at least offering the flexibility rather than just saying to everyone, come back, you know, nine to five you know, five days a week or longer, you know, it's a bit, mm. it may be a bit much of an ask now. Yes. Uh, and especially as people recognize as well, the importance of work-life balance and how you can do it better instead of uh, doing an hour long commute, for example, focus on yoga, reading a book, uh, just to balance it out. Um, so one view I've heard as well in terms of the impact of the pandemic is the impact it had potentially on new starters and especially, again, young women. Um, Deborah, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Do you think that was a bit of a challenging thing to grapple with? Because obviously there is such a thing like conflicts on Zoom probably don't quite work or don't get resolved in the same way as interpersonal interaction would be actually doing the job. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody who's been recruited, you know, through on online virtual process uh, throughout the pandemic, you know, I think it must have been a really interesting and di difficult experience. Um, you know, I know a lot of people that just haven't met any of their team members. And, um, you know, one of my family members is a um, grad on the graduate training scheme of a, of a financial institution and you know he's, he's yet to be in the office so um I think that that is difficult for anybody regardless of gender um and but it, I mean it kind of goes back to my earlier point you know I don't think we all need to be back nine to five but I think we need to be leaders within financial institutions need to be clear about the opportunities that everyone gets to be in the office and that it doesn't lead to more division of who's in the office and who's not. I worry about that a little bit. It was okay, I guess, when everybody was at home and, and we were all on virtual platforms, but now we have this, um, you know, halfway house of some people in the office, some not. So I hope it doesn't lead to more divisions within organisations. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think that must just be very, very difficult, especially as you're trying to assess whether you want to join an organisation and they're trying to assess whether individuals are, are a good fit for their organisation as well. Mm -hmm. And couldn't have been easy for now working I, and I know for you it's part of what you do and um, you can do digital events obviously but being meeting in person it is such a vastly different thing. Yes completely I mean I, I think that um, you know the networking rooms that you get on um, you know conferences or on Zoom just aren't quite the same as meeting in person but hey it's it's one small price to have paid I guess for for, for mm -hmm. what's been happening in the world um, 
But yeah, I think that building social capital has always been extremely important for anybody's career. Um, and I, I have you know, heard a lot of people saying I've really missed the, the kind of the interactions, especially within um, ind industries like finance and investment that are based on you know, intellectual capital, on connections, uh, um, on who you know as well as what you know. Um, so yeah, I, I, I hope that we slowly but surely, in a safe way, get to the point that we can also um, you know, meet more in person for networking events, um, etc. Nisha, one strength of our report is actually looking at individual companies that are doing a good job at improving what they've achieved even on previous years, let's say. Now, there was one absolutely amazing statistic about one firm reaching parity in terms of the number of male and female fund managers. So I was wondering if you could walk us through what kind of firm that was uh, and then maybe um, some other highlights in terms of companies that are actually pushing this even further in terms of gender diversity in uh, the fund management industry. Yeah, of course. Um, so the company that um, you just well um, alluded to, it was um, Kaisha Bank Asset Management. Um, so in the firms with 20 to 50 managers, they're the first firm to reach um, parity, um, gender parity in fund management, which I think is, you know, something to definitely sing about because they were one of our winners as well at the gender diversity awards that we were all part of at the end of december 2020 and they have continued um you know their strength in uh, recruiting female fund managers uh, retaining them as well so that's why they have that parity now um, another one which um, i want to um, say as well and is in the report is aberdeen um, so they have, out of the largest group with 100 plus managers at the firms, um, they've increased um, quite a bit to 24% female fund managers, so just under a quarter. So for a big firm, that has been a big improvement. Um, and what got me was that they were one of the winners in our Gender Diversity Awards also, which was based on the Alpha Female Report um, last year. But some of their policies that they had been working on have been coming through into you know, you can see those working, as I said, as Deborah and I mentioned before, you know, you have to have targets, but measurable targets that you can see. Um, I just wanted to mention two, which I, you know, felt, you know, has helped and does help in across the asset management industry. Um, so, for example, um, gender action plans that, you know, aim to increase a gender balance, and they've had that in effect for the past four years. So you can see that, you know, slowly working through now. And another one, I think this applies to all asset management groups who take part in this, is across company, you know, company um, returner programs. So mm -hmm. those female fund managers who have been absent for a while, but being you know, reintroduced into fund management. And I think that's very important. So if you have been away for a long time, it can be a very daunting process for men or women, you know, to come back and retain that position. But I think um, that's the key, because one of the aspects I did look at last year, looking at turnover, was that when females went on maternity leave, they weren't coming back into fund management, but rather going into positions, still high positions in some cases, like heads of research, you know, in strategy, but it wasn't in fund management. So, you know, hopefully we can see that turning a bit where they're comfortable enough to return to fund management because the flexibility will be there that they can work from home and you know be in the office as well in during a week so i think there's great initiatives out there and the companies which i'm seeing that um, are measuring these not just you know them being more accountable for their policies they are you know slowly coming through into 
the data statistics that we're seeing, you know, for alpha female. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things um, we looked at as part of the gender diversity awards, which Aberdina actually were quite a standout candidate in, um, is those kind of like four components, which is one looking at uh, grassroots, so how they attract talent, and then how they maintain that talent, which means how do you bring people through the ranks, and then again, return the programs, how do you set people up together to kind of like talk to senior mentors as well to progress with your career and obviously participation in external industry networks because you can't do it alone the industry just can't rely on one company to do it alone and you need somebody else out there who will back you and give you an idea of the best practice really and I think they scored quite highly on all those metrics really um, when it comes to succession planning, I thought one of the recent examples, they promoted Katie Trousdale, so had a multi-management. So something is definitely working there. And uh, if I think you are interested in gender diversity as an asset manager, probably it's worth talking to Aberdeen. What is that they are doing right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah. it also shows, you know, the power of, you know, initiatives like senior providing senior mentors, you know, external networks. Obviously, mm -hmm. I run an external network called the 100% Club. Um, and actually what I've seen through the pandemic is not only, you know, a continuing growing interest in the membership, so my membership continues to grow, but also continuing to connect members who want to be mentored and who want to be, um, you, you want to be mentors. So um, I think the four components that you identify, like there's no one there's no one kind of solution that solves all of this and um, they have to be interlinked you have to be strategic about what the issues are and I think external recognition and um, through the diversity awards that you know CityWire have set up you know you had the inaugural awards last year and I was privileged to be a judge and you know I think it's so important to applaud uh, leaders and to you know really put the spotlight on what some of the initiatives are that are going on within organizations but also to to, to make you know the laggards think about what some of the solutions are that can be can be achieved I mean you mentioned Kaiser Bank you know at parity you know this is possible uh, so uh, I think that's that element of it um, and the work that you continue to do at CityWire and also your, you know, you had your first diversity and inclusion event this year as well. You know, I think all of that is part of, you know, the collective kind of solutions that we need. Absolutely yeah, agree you, with you there. Yeah, yeah that, that is uh, absolutely right. And um, one thing that we lightly touched upon, which is diversity and inclusion, because gender diversity is just one piece of the puzzle uh, of the wider diversity. And one thing that I think didn't escape anyone's notice is that the diversity conversation today is probably the loudest we've had it for the last couple of years. Since we started the report six years ago, it was big, but now it's as big as it has ever been. Now, Deborah, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about what are the drivers behind this development? Because obviously everyone all kind of seemed to have cared before, but now it just became kind of like this crunch point almost. Yeah, I mean, I think we all know the events of the last um, year have really brought uh, both inequalities um, and also the nature of inequalities to, to the fore, um, and especially the underrepresentation of of uh, black and minority ethnic 
um, professionals within our industry. You know, women are 51% of the population, uh, but there's also the intersectionality piece as well. Um, and I think initiatives um, like, you know, 10,000 Black interns, talk about Black, um, some of the work coming out of the um, regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority on some of their, um, what they are saying around both their role as a regulator and their own challenges on diversity and inclusion. And obviously they have a, a consultation out currently looking at changing the listing rules to, to um, introduce diversity expectations for listed companies. Uh, you've also seen, you know, asset owners um, really step up to the plate here. So there was the recent launch of the Asset Owner Diversity Charter, so 17 pension funds, really indicating that as clients of the asset management industry, they really expect both diversity and inclusion within the asset managers that they are selecting to work with, but also you know, the, the, the expectations of, of um, investors to be stewards of capital and to engage on diversity in companies that they invest in. So I think, again, you're beginning to see more louder voices across the investment chain beginning to really make this a strategic issue um, and I think that's what's really important as well and I would also applaud the work of the CFA Institute um, on their draft code um, on diversity and inclusion uh, which I think the consultation has just finished uh, but again you know recognition from all parties in the industry that we need to work together, but that we all need to kind of take responsibility for this. So I think that's only to be encouraged, you know, it, we can only be encouraged by that. And hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, the pace of change will accelerate over the next few years and, and, and Misha will, you know, feel slightly more <laughs> encouraged <laughs> well, by some yeah, of the data. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think we have to think about this collectively and we can't solve one issue and create a challenge um, somewhere else when we think about identity diversity like race, ethnicity, neurodiversity, disability, sexuality. You know, this is just about the best people and giving everybody opportunity. That's very inspiring, Deborah. So I hope your words come true. And uh, Nisha, you were part of the first event we organized that tackled not just gender diversity, but all types of diversity. Um, again, a question for you. Uh, what have you learned from that experience specifically? And why do you think that has the potential to accelerate going forward? Yeah, so um, I have worked on gender diversity for a long time, but what that opened my eyes to was all the different types of diversity um, that is out there, but the data is not available to actually access and assess, you know, that like we've been able to do with gender diversity and to get the message, you know, accelerated out there of, you know, the benefits of having diversity and inclusion everywhere, um, you know, in your workplace. And I think, you know, this is, as you said, you know, this is a small part of diversity. There's so many other branches, you know, that once you, you know, we have to tackle them all together, not just one by one. It has to be done together because at the end of the day, you are getting better outcomes. You're getting that cognitive diversity that I think it is, especially in this day and age, you know, it is so essential to have that and different thoughts. And I have to admit, my life is enriched by having so many diverse people around me that the person I've become today, you know, I think it, it will benefit everyone to have those kind of thoughts, you know, and inclusiveness um, at any shape or form. And, you know, it does help. It's not just us, you know, saying this on the podcast, you know, there are actual academic studies, not just academic studies, just people talking. You can see the effect it makes on people's lives. 
it makes a difference, but you get the best people that, you know, coming out of it. I think the other area that you know, we have talked about in, in the past, and, and I've been on the record as saying as well, is it's not just the people within the investment industry, it's the people we represent, it's the people we're here to serve, and they're a diverse group of individuals. You know, we have a 40% gender pensions gap in this country. If we want women to invest more in the stock market, if we want all types of um, people who live in society to benefit from the um, being able to invest in the stock market, if they are able to, because not everybody can or, or actually wants to, um, you know, I think we need to recognise that that's part of it, the representation piece back to the clients we ultimately um, serve. You know, I this phrase like when we look up we need to see people who look like us and I think when we look into the investment industry the investment industry needs to reflect the society that that it that it serves mm -hmm. uh, thank you. yeah thank you both um one last uh, remark to conclude on I think Nisha especially for you because uh you've done this report for six years now so were your expectations actually surpassed or underwhelmed by the results of this year's report? And looking forward into the next year, what are you hoping to see? Um, I think I've said this every year. I was encouraged by the increase, but it's not at all something to really shout out about. Um, my expectations coming into this report, because of the flexible working we did have during lockdowns, I. In my head, I did assume that turnover figure was going to reduce um, and it didn't. So, you know, I was disappointed to see that they didn't improve at all and actually were a bit worse, you know, compared to the previous year. So I don't think I will be happy until I see a big jump in a year. <laughs> so looking at the five or 10 percent, you know, those kind of figures. But I know, you know, that's not going to happen very quickly. Uh, Deborah, what about you? Because you've been with us uh, on this podcast, obviously, last year. Um, again, did you have some expectations that were met or maybe not so much? And then what are you hoping for going into the next year? Yeah, so, um, you know, Nisha was kind enough to um, share with me some of the headlines from the report uh, in, in order for me to prepare for, for the podcast. And she told me that the 12-month rise in the percentage of female fund managers was the biggest that she'd seen. Um, but she didn't give me the figures. Um, and then when she gave me the figures, I was so excited <laughs> about this 12-month rise being the largest that we'd seen. And then when I saw the figures go from, you know, in 2016, 10.3% female fund managers, you know, 2020, 11%, and then this year, 11.8%. So I had to kind of, um, you know, calm myself down a little bit because it wasn't quite <laughs> as, you know, it's not like we're at 25%. So, you know, we didn't have 200 years to wait last year and, and we don't have 127 years to wait this year. Um, but I think all the points we've raised and discussed about, you know, why this matters from a corporate culture perspective, um, about how we represent the people that we ultimately serve um, and also just rebuilding trust in finance as well, I think is, is you know, driven by, um, will, will be driven by, by better diversity and representation and, you know, finance still has a very large trust deficit to deal with. So, yeah, um, encouraged, but, um, you know, want to continue to encourage progress to be accelerated. Thank you very much. Thank you both. And it was wonderful to talk about our sixth Alpha Female report. And for all our listeners, please dig in and give us feedback because we would love to hear your thoughts about the report and uh, what you would like to improve in the industry. Thank you. Thank you.